Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week I spoke to Lydia Polgrain, the editor-in-chief at HuffPost. Lydia joined what was then called Huffington Post three years ago after a career spent at the New York Times. We spoke about how HuffPost differentiates in a crowded news market, the case for keeping news free, and why news publishers need to think beyond impeachment. Hope you enjoy it. Lydia, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here, Brian. You were here a couple of years ago, and, and you were, I guess you were somewhat new-ish then, but now you're you are going on three years in at, well, at first it was Huffington Post, but now we're, we're over to HuffPost, right? HuffPost is what it is. Okay, so talk to us three years in. What's What's been the big change, you think? Obviously, Ariana's no longer there. Sure. Yeah. No, she's uh, she's moved on to to, to greater glory. Um, I uh, I think the to me the biggest change um, from 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 my perspective is we've really focused on putting people at the center of our stories, and that was a process that started. Right, right when I began, we did a bus tour across the country. Uh, we actually did two, one in 2017 that was the Listen to America tour, and then another one um, just on the in the run-up to the 2018 midterms where we took an RV across a different part of the country. And what we, what we really wanted to do was put listening and connecting with ordinary people at the heart of our journalism and let our agenda be dictated by um, what we heard from people and um, just have a kind of constant feedback loop about what really matters to folks. And you know, that's had some really interesting consequences. It certainly has shifted how do we deploy our journalists. Um, topics that weren't even really on our radar screen have become major coverage areas for us. For example, housing. Um, okay. Turns out there's a housing crisis all across America, um, not just in San Francisco and New York, but in Boise, Idaho um, and Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, so housing affordability has become a huge uh, coverage area for us. And we actually have someone more or less working on it full time. Um, the other thing we heard loud and clear was that there is a massive mental health crisis happening in this country. And some of it is acute and related to the opioid epidemic, but um, a lot of it is uh, is kind of chronic. Um, and so we've had a huge push and this has always been a coverage area for HuffPost, but we've we've really expanded to um, to do a lot of service journalism around mental health. Um, we just had a really big series that we did that was actually global, not just in the United States, called uh, "You Should See Someone," and it mm-hmm. was a how-to guide of how to do therapy. And, um, you know, we modified it for for the different markets that we did it in. You know, in India, it had one area of focus. In the U.S., a big area of focus was how do you pay for therapy? Um, health insurance plans right. often don't have parity on this. So so really imbuing a sense of service and, and, and just picking up the cues from our audience about, like, what really matters mm-hmm. to them. So this was happening right after Trump got elected, right? I mean, so, and I think a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of news organizations were at the time doing a lot of navel gazing and they were saying, we got to get out to real America or dispatching people to Iowa and, and whatnot. Um, that seems to have faded as, as, as the Trump story has become a very, very Washington story. Yep. Um, explain why this wasn't just like a passing thing. Everyone read Hillbilly Elegy after the election dutifully. 
Yeah, for us, it was not so much about um, doing safaris into the quote-unquote heartland <laughs> or, or, or diner interviews. For us, it was really about um, kind of deeper listening and then just fundamentally changing how our newsroom operates. Um, and, you know, look, we cover Washington. We have a great Washington bureau. Um, you know, we get scoops uh, from the Hill. Uh, we're all over the impeachment story. And certainly that's an important thing that we do. But we also have, um, you know, a full-time labor reporter uh, who's out in the country covering the real lived experience of workers um, who travels constantly and is super attuned to what's happening um, with American workers. We have folks who are um, focused on health care, on mental health, on a, on a variety of issues um, that that really bring to life the things that we heard from our audience. So it's not so much about saying, oh, we want to make sure that we're reflecting what Trump's America thinks. We want to get even deeper underneath that mm-hmm. and say, what are the things that are driving the phenomena that we're seeing in our political life right now? Um, the events in Washington are really interesting. Um, we're all paying attention to them. There's been a huge glut of news from Washington. Mm-hmm. But what's what's been interesting for us is, and, and, is that if we look at the proportion of news on our site that is tagged um, politics and hard news. It's actually decreased over the last year. It used to be uh, 73% and now it's only 58%. So um, what do you think is that? Are we frequency capping ourselves to, there's to the some, Trump There's some news? frequency capping, but I think it's also that, because I don't think it's the, it's, I don't think it's that we're serving up fluff. Um, and, you know, when I look at the work that we've been doing, it's that we're, we're, we're pivoting away from being obsessed with every twist and turn of the Mueller mm-hmm. report or every you know, new witness in the impeachment inquiry. I mean, we're covering that, but we've also made a ton of space for lots of other things that people are really concerned about right now. But how do you strike that balance? I mean, like as a journalist, this is a great story. It's a great story. It is a great story, but I think we also need to be listening to what our audience is telling us, which is that they have really rich and full lives that, um, and and need help with a lot of things in a lot of different areas of their lives. So, so, you know, I think, I think it's really a question of finding that, that balance and, um, you know, we are very committed to covering news. That is always a huge part of our identity. But we also do so much more. So how you mentioned that the newsroom needed to operate differently. Explain how that works in reality. Well, I think I think that for a long time, um, the news business, um, the digital news business was really a very, very kind of metrics driven business in the sense that um you would look at uh, what's trending on Google or what's hitting on social yeah. and you'd write to those things. Um, and a huge amount of what you do was aimed at scale, at getting lots and lots of people to come to your site mm-hmm. and, and, and gaming the various ways in which you get audience in order to draw people to 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 your site um, so you could show them advertising. I, I think those games are over. Um, you know, every it's, I will say Huffington Post, I believe, started the What Time is the Super Bowl. Oh, no question. And I think that like one of, the, one of the great things about HuffPost is <laughs> Or that, I guess it's an annual tradition. Yes, it's an annual tradition. <laughs> but I mean, the, the great thing, and, and, and no shade, but, you know, the New York Times does what time is, uh, you know, sure. SEO driven headlines. It, there was a moment of arbitrage where a handful of players and HuffPost has always been an innovator. Um, you know, we were early on and, and really first to search. Um, you know, this was long before I got there, but first to search, um, you know, very early on social um, and have ridden, you know, very early on mobile, have ridden every successive wave. But I think we've reached a, t- a point where there is a kind of um, um, uh, unilateral uh 
not disarmament, but where everyone basically has access to the same um, yes. the same set of tricks and um, and tools. So there's there's really there's really not a lot of advantage to be gamed. And also these platforms have changed, right? And they're listening mm-hmm. to different signals. You know, you have Google um, tweaking its alg- algorithm to say we're going to focus on original reporting. That we're going to we're going to put our thumb on the scale to the pers- to, to the news organization that actually broke a piece of original reporting as opposed to um, someone who aggregated it. You know that that fundamentally changes the business model for a lot of publishers. So does that mean far less aggregation? I think it means, I mean, aggregation is important, I think, because it's a service, right? People come to HuffPost to get a picture of what's happening in the world. And, you know, we're very lucky to have one of the biggest homepages in um, in the digital news industry. It's a place that people come to multiple times a day. We have a highly engaged homepage audience. So we want to make sure that if there's something that that audience needs to know about, that we have some kind of pre- presence on it. But um, you can't you can't build a business around aggregation. Right. Like you can't build because the paths to distribution and the paths to monetization um, just don't support it anymore. Right. So um, so so original journalism really has to be at the heart of what you do. And um, original journalism is now at the heart of what HuffPost does. Right. We're no longer a a site that that um, is open to anyone who wants to blog about what's on their mind. Everything is an editorial product that has been through our our editorial vetting process um, written by staff or written by qualified freelancers who are paid for their work. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure you have like a sort of a gut feeling whether you had a good week or a good month. Right. But what do you look at what are the KPIs, if you will, that you look at at the end of a month about whether you're doing well? I, I think um, you always want to have a sense that your stories are resonating with an audience. So I do think that scale matters, but it's more of a journalistic rather than a. Uh, so a visitors kind of still matter. The number of people I think, who come I think to the, the number site. of visitors matters, okay. right? Because you, you it, but but again, for me, that's more of a journalistic metric rather than a yeah. um, rather than a performance metric, right? Like it's it, it doesn't necessarily tell you a whole lot about how your business is doing, but it does tell you a lot about whether your journalism is resonating with a lot of people. Um, so so that's one piece of it. Um, and, you know, it's also bragging rights. Who, who doesn't want to be the, the, the biggest yeah. and the best and bigger than our competitors? Um, but but Every mo- month CNN sends me. A, uh, of course uh, they do. Yeah, <laughs> And now Fox do. News comes right after them with like, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> I think the newest thing is actually citing Adobe Analytics as if that, oh, interesting. Is, if, as if that is like an actual measurement that anyone could verify. But no offense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for us, like the, the key measures that I've been looking for, looking at are, you know, how long, how, how much time are people spending with our stories? Um, what are the key ratios in terms of, um, you know, uh, um, monthly active users uh, over daily active users? Mm-hmm. Is that a healthy number of people? So you want to see loyalty? Um, I want to see loyalty, and you know, we we launched a membership program, um, HuffPost Plus, and it has two tiers: as a free tier, which is just you know, log in and you get. Get access to certain newsletters and things like that, um, and then there's a paid tier. But the paid tier is not about a paywall. It's um, if you believe in this journalism and you want it to be available um, uh, free of cost for anyone to read, like then then you can you can help us um, support this journalism. Mm-hmm. So I mean, part of the mission, obviously, there's been a pivot to paid in a lot of a lot of areas, and and then there's the question about well, not everyone can pay. So I mean, access is important. Yep. Um, so Huffington Post is. It seems like you guys are really committed as much as you can to making the overwhelming majority of of the news that you're producing freely available. Yeah, I think I think that um I think that that 
that for me, um, this is something that I really think about and worry about a lot, and particularly in the aftermath of the 2016 election. Um, you know, there was a lot of conversation about, um, you know, quote unquote, low information voters and who has access to high quality news. And, you know, look, I spent 15 years working at The New York Times, which is a fantastic news organization, and I'm thrilled to see them thriving with a subscription model. Um that restricts access to to their their product, but I think what we're ending up with is a um, a highly unequal news ecosystem in which the um, the the wealthiest, um, most educated, um, most spoiled for choice news consumers are the best served by the ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. And the people who are you know either can't afford or are not inclined to um, lean forward and pay for a subscription are are the worst served by our information ecosystem, and and perhaps. Those are the people yeah. who are who who are most in need of high quality, accessible, and relevant news. And so, for me, part of the part of the um, the attraction of 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 a platform like HuffPost is it is free and available to yeah. anyone. And and you know. I, I would be very worried about a world in which um, advertiser-supported, free-to-consumer news just went away. Mm. Um, I think that would be a a tragic loss. I mean, there are some similarities to the nutrition challenge of the fact that, you know, poorer people tend to eat worse because the, you know, high-calorie, high-fat food is cheaper than fresh vegetables. Not everyone has a farmer's market um, around the corner. Well, yeah. I mean, when I was a college student and, you know, were paying my my own way, um, you know, I would buy four four boxes of macaroni and cheese for a dollar at the grocery store and eat macaroni and cheese every night for dinner. Um, (laughs) Like, you know, it wasn't because I, that was my favorite thing. It was because that's what... okay for a few years, maybe not. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it could be mac and cheese, it could be ramen, it could be whatever, right? Um, But I think I think I think that beyond price, I think there's also a relevance question. I mean, you look at um, I love the FT. It's one of my guilty pleasures to get the FT mm-hmm. weekend section. Um, you know, they have a um, you know how, how to, to spend, spend it. it. I love you it. know um, oversized scarves. I keep joking. With no, here. totally. The larger the scarf, the better. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Star scarf is statement. Um, you know, or or the Wall Street Journal mansion section, right? Yeah. Um, these are you know guilty pleasures slash hate reads uh, for for a lot of people, I suppose. Yeah. But um, you know, there are a thousand ways in which a news organization can signal to someone who um, perhaps is on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum that like this product is not for you, right? Like. Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 to me, it's it's not just the question of accessibility. It's also about tone. It's also about the stories that you choose to cover. And it's about the the orientation that you have towards um, institutions of wealth and power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all journalistic institutions um, have as part of their DNA a kind of antagonistic relationship to power. Right. Like that's um, that's at the core of, of, mm-hmm. of what every every um, respectable um, and self-respecting news organization is. You know, you you want to you want to hold powerful institutions to account, but I I think that there are subtler and softer ways in which sometimes um, it can feel like news organizations are mm-hmm. are are really for powerful people and not for ordinary people. And and for us at HuffPost, um, you know, I I really you know my sort of rallying cry is we're we're really people before power, you know, and and ultimately, like news is personal and people want to understand how news connects to their lives. And um, that, that's a big part of the business that we're in. So there was this idea when companies started moving to subscription models that it would it would align better, right? So usually news is a strange business in that you've got an audience and you've got customers and sometimes they're in conflict. And the idea was, well, if you line that up and it's about consumer revenue, 
then there's less conflict. We're sort of seeing the opposite, possibly, around um, I, I, I publishers, actu- or do you think that— I actually think that this is a huge, unexamined, underexamined ethical dilemma. Um, you know, as journalists, we've had generations of experience avoiding conflict with advertisers. Like, it would never occur to us to, to, to slant our coverage to suit a big advertiser. That's just not the way that—and and frankly, the advertisers yeah. don't really— expect or want that either. They've been pretty well trained that that's just not how things work. Um, I think we're in a new era where the, you know, the, the, the subscriber is, is king and, um, suddenly you're having to figure out how to navigate that. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, we don't a have... A New York Times copy editor chooses some word in a headline and a bunch of people on Twitter are saying cancel New York Times. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think to, to, to its credit, the New York Times is, you know, um, sticking to its guns and I think um, sees, is, 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 you know, trying not to be swayed by, by the quote unquote mob, um, you know. Which, which I think is, is probably right. Um, but ultimately, that does have business consequences. And, um, and it means that you have to have a different and much more sophisticated relationship with your audience than you would otherwise. I mean, look, it's no secret that, you know, uh, HuffPost has a huge progressive audience, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. its 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 roots were in, you know, the response to uh, George W. Bush being reelected. That's why Ariana mm-hmm. Huffington started it, right? It was supposed to be a counterweight to the Drudge Report. I mean, I think we've come mm-hmm. a long way since then those days, but we still have a core, you know, very strong progressive audience. Um, You know, when we write critical articles about, um, you know, things that we've learned about various Democratic contenders for the 2020 election, our audience gets mad at us, right? I mean, there's a certain contingent of our audience that thinks if we write a critical article about uh, about Joe Biden, that we're somehow, um, you know, harming the chances mm-hmm. of the Democrats to take back the White House. And my response to them is, it's not my job to help the Democrats yeah. take back the White House. I mean, So I'm, not part know. of the resistance. No, we're absolutely not part okay. of the resistance. No, I mean, I think, I think, you know, there's been a lot of um, there's a lot of conversation about bias and who's left and who's right and who's this and who's that. And and, and from my perspective, I think of HuffPost as being fundamentally um, aligned with um, people rather than the powerful, right? And mm-hmm. and and for me, that is that is a very that's very different between being left or right. And I think that but we're, progressive, we're living right now in a time where all of these terms just like it's hard to know, even know what they mean anymore, right? I mean, is, um, you know, Donald Trump is a conservative populist. Um, yeah. is, is, it's been <laughs> you scrambled. Know, you know, it's, it's all been scrambled. The traditional ideological polls have, have, have fundamentally been upended. Um, and you have to look no further than the, like, Bernie to Trump voter crossover, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would, I would describe HuffPost as um, certainly having a populist edge. Um, you know, we, we tend to have... Uh, you know, a strong progressive audience, and um, you know, I, I don't think we shy away from having a point of view. Um, and but I but I wouldn't say that we're aligned with a political party or um, or even with a political movement. Um, I think we reflect the passions and the concerns of our audience. Um, our audience cares deeply about gender equality, about climate change. Um, about LGBTQ issues, um, and um, you know we are covering those with with passion, and um, you know there are news organizations that try to cover such things dispassionately, and we are not one of them. So, how about the business model? Are you more encouraged now, three years in, that this kind of news can be supported um, by a sustainable business model 
um, than you were three years ago? Yeah, I am actually. I mean, I think I think that uh, we've we've done a lot of experimenting with with a bunch of different a bunch of different things. I mean, first of all, we're part of Verizon Media, which you know operates a very successful um, you know digital advertising platforms. You know, we have access to some of the best forms of monetization in the industry. So that's a that's a great thing to have in your in your back pocket. That's the sort of um, you know high quality programmatic base of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you build on top of that with um, brand content you build on top of that and the pyramid keeps getting smaller and smaller but like Unfortunately. you know I know but that's okay right okay. it's ultimately it's a pyramid we were talking about nutrition earlier right <laughs> you build on top of that some e-commerce you build on top of that some events um, you know I mean one uh, really interesting bright spot for us has been um, we have a podcast called here to make friends and mm-hmm. it's a, a feminist uh, a podcast about the bachelor and it's insanely popular we've had a run of sold-out live shows where um, we're turning people away at the doors there. You know, we have various celebrities like, you know, <laughs> on a waiting list to be guests on the show and um, we're selling out our merch at every show. So so I think like we're tapping into things that really weren't businesses that are businesses now. And, you know, you take a little bit here, a little bit there, uh, you know, a big chunk of branded content, a big chunk of um, increased engagement, which allows you to, you know, grow your video monetization, et cetera, et cetera. And it all adds up. I mean, is it going to be a double-digit margin business, um, you know, the original content news business maybe never will be again, right? Mm-hmm. But can you create a sustainable platform for quality journalism that serves an audience that needs it? Absolutely. What are you not betting on? And we see a lot of people trying to get on Netflix and doing licensing deals um, in Hollywood. Um, I don't think you guys have done as much. No, we've, we've, I mean, uh, you know, stay tuned. Uh, We definitely have irons in the fire. Um, You know, I think, I think we're kind of open to anything, but I think we're not, um, we're not betting on, um, you know, pivoting to video, for example. Um, You know, that's not been a, an area of focus for us. I think we're, uh, you know, we're not doing a lot of the, the, you know, massive churning out of text on screen um, video that you pump out on various platforms. Like that's, that's, that's not where HuffPost is going. Um, We're not betting on, um, on scale for scale's sake. Um, That's, that's not our, uh, that's not our bag. We're not betting on a paywall, obviously. So talk to me about that, about the memberships then, Mm -hmm. because I mean, consumer revenue is obviously, it comes in a few different flavors. Um, and putting up a paywall is the most direct way. It's yep. not not the way you're going. Yep. Um, probably not right for a HuffPost. Um, explain what this is other than just asking people to sort of donate. Well, so there are a couple of different things, right? There, there are different benefits for membership. So when, when someone becomes a HuffPost Plus member... Um, they get access to some exclusive um, newsletters. Mm-hmm. Um, they get access to an ad-free version of our app. Um, we put a bunch of features um, in the set of things that that people get when they, they get a discount at our company store. They get a, if you pay for a year up front, you get a, a HuffPost People Before Power T-shirt, which turns out to be okay. a very popular item. But it turns out in all of our surveys, whenever we've talked to people about you know why would you want to pay. Um, to become a HuffPost member, the number one reason is we want to support HuffPost journalism. We believe this journalism needs to exist in the world, and we we think it should be um, free and available to those. We don't want to see it behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that there is um, is that a lasting thing though? I don't know if it's a lasting thing, but I think for us um, that that focus on the core 
people who are going to support our journalism, those folks are great, right? Like, and we're happy to capture as many of them as we possibly can. And, and thankfully, there 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 are a healthy number mm-hmm. of them. Will you tell me um, how many? Of course, I'm come gonna on. Tell you how many? <laughs> Isn't don't, it written on that sheet? Don't know. It's not written on this sheet. Are you kidding me? <laughs> But what we've also learned is that um, simply getting people to become um, free members, logged in members, um, brings them into our into our ecosystem mm-hmm. and increases their uh, lifetime value like almost exponentially. So when someone goes from being an anonymous user on HuffPost to being a logged in user, we've seen growth um, over the past three months since we created this. Um, Essentially, they consume double the number of pages. They've gone from like you know sixty-four page pages a month to one hundred and twenty uh, pages a month. So, when someone becomes a logged-in user, they just spend a lot more time with us, hmm. um, and their engagement deepens. And then that also gives us the opportunity to offer them other things, like, hey, you know, we're developing um, you know a HuffPost learning opportunity, or we're develop we have a HuffPost um, event or festival. Um, you know. Uh, would you like to come to it? So, so you bring people into your ecosystem. You bring people into your, um, you know, kind of HuffPost universe. Yeah, it's part and of the funnel. It's part of the funnel. And so your ad people really like that because they get data. Exactly. So for us, it's really about um, increasing the lifetime value of, um, of of a user. And, you know, when you pull people down the funnel, the lifetime value goes up. And so for us, you know, if people there, – there's there's a cohort of our super users who, who want to give us money and will, you know, will happily, will happily take their money and put it towards um, doing more great journalism. And then there's a cohort of people who just want to – get closer to us. And, um, and that is, um, and, and that's also great and creates tremendous value for us as a publisher as well. Okay. So I got to ask you, Verizon Media, selling HuffPost. <laughs> is that- <laughs> well, look, you know, we don't, we don't talk about <laughs> speculation, um, things that have really no basis in fact. Um, <laughs> okay, you know, that's, that's, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I read that article just like you did. I have not seen anybody able to match it. And I think that, um, you know, there are probably a lot of people who've tried. So you could draw your own conclusions from that. Okay. But what is being within Verizon Media now? What's been the difference? Well, I mean, I think, you know, candidly, it's great to be part of a really big, successful company. Um, I look at my colleagues who uh, work for um, companies that are owned by impatient uh, venture um, capitalists who'd like them to sell to recoup their investment. Um, It's nice to be part of a big, stable company that um, is thinking about the future and has a long horizon and is thinking about the way that content and um, connectivity come together. Um, and, you know, Verizon has actually been a really great steward of HuffPost. Um, and uh, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for the brand at the company. So for me, um, it's been a source of support and stability. And um, and that's been great. Oh, final thing. So give me the reason to be optimistic about the future of journalism as a sustainable business. Well, I think it's it's partly about about where consumers are, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. um, I look at the way in which young people right now are taking the um, taking the future sort of in their own hands. I look at these movements like um, you know the Sunrise Movement around climate. I look at the movements around gun violence. These are people who want to take action in the world, and being informed is a really important part of um, being able to take action in the world. And so seeing the uptick in engagement, particularly among young people, on these 
core issues that really will determine human survival, I think, um, tells me that there's a huge future for journalism and um, for digital media in particular. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy to get there, but um, as long as there are people who are interested in it, as long as there are large numbers of people who who want and need access to high-quality journalism, there's a model out there to pay for it. One issue I wanted to ask you about was this idea of, of platforms directly paying publishers. We're recording this on the same day that, um, you know, Facebook has a dog and pony show about um, their news tab, which is paying some publishers. I don't know if, she, if they're paying you. Uh, we, we're not commenting about our participation in the um, in the uh, in the Facebook uh, uh, news tab one way or the other. I, I mean, I think our content is certainly going to be part of it, um, but. Um, I think it's I think it's a good thing if um, you know these platforms want to provide um, money to publishers. We'll we'll take we'll take any money that we can get from <laughs> okay. from not from anyone. I mean they're you know yeah. Uh, but I think I think more importantly I I think that it's really important that publishers not depend on handouts um, from from platforms. Um, we saw how how that went with video. <laughs> that didn't didn't work out so well. Um, yeah. And you know, yesterday I was at a Twitter event and Jack Dorsey said, "Look, you know, we don't want to start creating unsustainable lines of funding for journalism." I'm saying it much more articulately than he did because you know yeah. he talks like a like Yoda. Yeah, um, he's, he's been out in the desert with yeah, Lasso or whatever. That's <laughs> but it's but I mean, I think I think that, that there's something to that, right? Like you know, sure you could. Get a few million bucks for a few years from Facebook, but ultimately, is that something that you build your future on? I don't think so. Um, you know, at the same time, the broader regulatory landscape is shifting. Um, I think there's a lot of concern um, on both sides of the aisle about yeah. the role that the platforms are playing. Um, I also think that the advertising industry is changing. Advertisers are skeptical about these platforms. They really they are looking for reasons to spend their money somewhere else. And yet, and yet they still pour a ton of money into Google and Facebook. Um, yeah. But I guess the good thing, if there is a good thing, I just don't know if it's lasting. Is a lot of this stuff is in response to government pressure. The fact that Google and Facebook are under government pressure all over the world. It's not coincidental that all of a sudden they're cutting better deals with publishers, but we'll see if that lasts. (laughs) Thanks so much, Lydia. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Please remember to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.